Every day in my email box, I, I get three emails that are like devotions. One of them just simply lists the Bible passage for the day. But as I went to that particular email the other day, which always has some kind of an ad connected with it, the ad drew my attention before I even got to looking at the passage. It got my attention because I thought it was kind of a strange ad to be on a, a website or whatever that had to do with reading a Bible passage. It was about a razor <laughs> and about how this razor would make your life better. Well, of course, I was interested in the details, not so much that I needed my life to be better, but how in the world would a, a razor make my life better? And what was it that would end, this end up being on a, on a Bible passage website? So I, I kept clicking on the ad to get more information, and it really didn't say much other than this that I thought was interesting. This would be the best-looking thing in the bathroom after you. And I thought, well, that's really nice. What a nice compliment. Uh, but then I thought, you know, what, what really looks good in a bathroom anyway? So it was kind of not much of a compliment and kind of an underhanded compliment, right? Um, and sometimes that, that happens where we, we give out a compliment and we're just so used to hearing certain words that yeah, we don't think much of it. And that can be with a lot of different things. You know, certain phrases kind of become cliche and then we just kind of pass over it. It's not so important. What we really want to know is the details. I wanted to know what was so special besides that orange handle that this razor could make my life better. And I, I never found out why. But we're interested in the details, not cliches. And that's true for areas of our life, whether it's your personal life or things going on around you or in our world too. We're not always just happy with a cliche. We, we want some proof. We want some details about things. Now, when, when things start getting messed up and there's troubles or life is kind of crazy, sometimes we'll just say, well, remember, God is in control. And that becomes kind of cliche, doesn't it? And, and maybe we think, well, that phrase gets overused. And, and just saying that then doesn't really give you the kind of comfort and encouragement that it really has. But it's just interesting, we, we maybe overuse that phrase, but that phrase is always true, God is in control. It's just we want to know the details. Well, what about your life? Do you want to know the details? Do you want to see proof, evidence, that God is in control? At this time of the church year, we... We start to focus on what's referred to as the last times. Words that, that Jesus spoke uh, about living in the final days. Now as we focus our attention on that in the next few weeks, I want to call to your attention certain phrases that are pretty familiar to us. In fact, we might say they're almost cliche. We're so familiar with them that maybe we really don't pay attention to the powerful impact they have for us. Well, today I just want to start talking about your life and God's plan for your life. 
Now, we know that God doesn't give a lot of specific details about our plans, but he does say certain things about his plans for us. For example, he tells us that his plans for us are wondrous and that they are too numerous for us to even count. So today, as I share with you God's plan for your life, I want to add the word wonderful. God's wonderful plan for your life. And I want to use a passage that God spoke in the Old Testament to his people as they were experiencing a lot of turmoil in their life and kind of wondering, what's going on? What's God doing? Words maybe that are very familiar to you, maybe cliché, but they have a lot of power to them. From Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So this morning, let's get a little personal and talk about your life. Think about your life. What's going on? There are some changes that are taking place, some things that are making you feel uncomfortable and uncertain about things. And if you look just beyond your life and, and look around in our city, look around in our country, in our world, do you see we're kind of living in some troubled and, and tumultuous times? And as you, as you look at those things or experience them, maybe a question comes to mind, what is going on? Is God in control? Is this the way he blesses his children? Well, let me share you, with you something from history about the children of God, the, the people of Israel. About 700 years before Jesus was born, the people of Israel, the people through whom he said he would send a Savior, had turned their back on God. And he had warned them and was calling them to come back to him through his prophets, but they ignored the messages. So God had sent a warning that he would allow neighboring nations to come and attack them and oppress them and carry them off. And that's exactly what happened. Around 720 B.C., the Assyrian nation, today we would identify that with the area of Iraq, came and invaded northern Israel and took the people off into captivity, wiped them out. That's what's depicted with the red arrows there. Now, about 150 years later, their cousins in the south, in the area of southern Israel called Judah, were doing the same thing. They were turning away from God, following other gods, following other religions. God, again, was calling the people back to him and warning them that there would be an invading nation that would come. And indeed, one did come, the Babylonians. And they carried the people off after they had destroyed Jerusalem and its temple. That's depicted with the green arrow. Here were children of God, oppressed by these heathen nations, and probably wondering what's going on. 
Well, that's the context in which Jeremiah comes on the scene and speaks those words of promise from God. But so that we can understand the impact of those promises and the encouragement we get from them, let's talk, first of all, about the things that can harm us in life. Let's start with some of the obvious things, the physical dangers that are around us. As you recall what I just told you about the people of Israel, we see that they were surrounded by danger, by nations attacking them. Today we'd call them terrorists. All these terror attacks that were happening, they were under siege, and it wasn't going to get any better. God said it would happen this way. Yet God sent Jeremiah to them. For 40 years, he was calling them back to God. Because you see, the greatest danger that threatened them was not just those nations around them, but what was going on inside of their own city, inside of their own heart. They had turned away from God. They had actually put stone and wooden idols in the temple of God and were worshiping those false gods in God's house. They were even participating in ritualistic sacrifices of children. It got so bad that God told Jeremiah, don't even pray for them. Don't pray and ask that my judgment be turned away from them because it ain't going to happen. And it didn't. The Babylonians came and attacked them for 20 years, destroyed them, and carried them off. Are there dangers that threaten us in life? Sure. But don't just think of those physical dangers, the, the terrorists and all the security things we have to have in life today. What about the dangers that might be living right inside of us? Things like doubt. I would have to think that the people of, of Judah were, were filled with doubts as all of this is going on, thinking, well, what's going on? Where are these promises of God? Jeremiah, you're telling us about the Lord, but things are getting really bad. Where is he? You see, doubts can do two things to us. They can either draw us to God to try to understand what's going on and to trust him, or they can push us away from God as we start thinking of things that, that aren't godly, as we start thinking of things that go against God and, and don't accept what's happening. So doubts can harm us. In fact, that's what was going on in Israel. Through Jeremiah, the Lord said this, My people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Their doubts took them away from God, and they were looking for comfort in things that could not bring them any comfort. That leads us to another danger in our life, and that is deception. Those Israelites were fooled into thinking that it was the other gods. What other people are doing, there was the answer. There was assurance. The devil loves to do that to us. He loves to take us away from God by creating that deception. That's what he's always done. Whether it's through the, our own thinking or the, the thoughts of others or through things that are around us, he wants to take us away from God to get us to doubt 
who God really is, what he wants us to do, what he wants us to believe. Now you might think, but for the people of God, how, that couldn't really happen, could it? Falling away from God is a gradual process. You don't just wake up one morning, you know, after you went to bed believing in God, wake up the next morning, you know what, I don't believe in God. It's a gradual process of moving away from him, like erosion. And that can happen to God's people. This past week, one of our members sent me an email citing an article that he had read about a survey that was being taken about people's beliefs. Here's what the article said in summary. If I told you the following statistics about a certain group of people, who would you guess I'm talking about? Now he started giving us the results of this survey that was taken. It said over 40% of the people that they were surveyed said they're not born again. 35% said the Bible has errors in it or they weren't sure if it has errors or not. About 90% of the people they interviewed were attending or had attended public schools or universities. By that they simply mean they hadn't been hearing, learning God's word. 45%, over 45% said that their Sunday school lessons didn't teach them how to defend their faith. 45% said that homosexual behavior is not a sin, or they were uncertain whether or not it was a sin. 20% said that there are books other than the Bible that have been given to us directly by God through inspiration. So in other words, the Bible isn't the only word of God. 65% of them believed that if you're just a good person, you'll go to heaven. Now the question was, who do you think they were talking about? Who was being interviewed? He said, would you be surprised to learn that this nationwide research was conducted with people in their 20s? So the millennials? You can probably see that. Yeah, that's how the younger people are starting to think. But listen to this. Would it shock you even more to discover that these same people regularly attend our churches today? at least three times a month. So it's the people of God, that's what we'd say, right? Look how they have been deceived. The Apostle Paul experienced something similar with the first churches that he started. In Galatia, he, he wrote to them and said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. The question is, could that happen to us? It has happened to God's people before. It could happen to us. Are these things important? Sure. Are these beliefs important to you? How do you show it? We're in the uh, time of the year where the weather is going to be changing quite a bit, right? I mean, during the summer, do you really pay attention to the weather forecast? Because it's kind of the same every day, right? It's going to be hot and sunny. But now, in fall, things start to change. 
Now we hear it's going to be cloudy. There might even be a chance of rain. It's going to be cooler now at night. And, and we pay attention to those details about what's going on out there because it might affect us, right? What am I going to wear? How is it going to affect my morning commute? Or, or how is it going to change my plans for what I was going to do today? We're concerned about those details. Well, things are changing around us in our culture, too, in regard to beliefs, morality, behaviors. Things are probably changing in your life, too, maybe with your health, with relationships, other things going on. And maybe some of that creates an unsettled feeling, maybe some doubts. Maybe you're looking for some, some guidance and assurance. Is there a place to go? Recently in my household, there was a movement to get another dog. And um, I thought to myself, oh, I need another dog like I need a hole in the head. And then when I realized that I have a hole in my head, I said, okay, let's go looking for another dog. And uh, we found this little cutie at one of the rescue foundations. So we went, went down there to check out the dog, and we were there for an hour trying to make this decision, should we get this dog? And so I asked all the kids, are you going to help take care of the dog? Are you going to help take care of the dog? Are you going to help take care of the dog? Yes, Dad. Yes, Dad. Yes, Dad. Finally got to my wife, would be the final decider. She's holding the little puppy. And I said, well, and she said, she needs a home. <laughs> I just turned around and went and paid for her. <laughs> needs a home, needs some love, needs some security. Don't we too? With the changes that go on in our life, some of the troubles that come up, we need a home. We need some security. We need some love. And we have it in our Lord, who says, I know. I know. Not just I know you and I know what you're going through, but he says, I know the plans I have for you. God tells us how he will bless us. Let's look at those words of Jeremiah now. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. The Lord, look at that name. It's all capitalized letters. That means it was the covenant God speaking. He says, I am that God of free and faithful grace. You can depend on me because I do not change. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you, give you hope and a future. Just that God has plans for us is a blessing because God cares about us. Now, you and I have plans. Or at least sometimes we say we have plans, but we don't really do anything. Sometimes we make plans, but those plans get interrupted or changed, maybe because we haven't been diligent in carrying them out, or maybe because something else happened or someone else got in the way. But God says, I know the plans I have for you. And those plans are not to harm you. The plans are only to bless you. This week, uh, Pastor Chung and I were gone for a few days at a pastor conference. And when I was uh, flying back, we were on different flights. 
when I was uh, flying back, uh, we all lined up to board the plane, and then they made the announcement, um, the plane is going to be delayed because we have to check some things out. So have a seat for about a half hour. Okay, so we waited a half hour, and then he came back out, and they said, the plane isn't ready to go. Uh, some repairs have to be made, and uh, we're going to have to switch you to another plane, so just wait. A little while later, they came back, and they said, okay, we have another plane ready for you. It's on the other side of the terminal, so you all got to go over there. So we all went over there and had to line up and do the whole thing, and you know, so it was an hour, hour and a half later that we're taking off. Now, before we took off, the pilot the captain came out in front of the cabin on the microphone and he explained the situation. He said there was a problem with one of the engines. He said it needed attention and he was sure that the ground crew could give it the attention it needed. But he wanted us to be totally safe. And so he said, I decided that we would not use that plane but use another one. So he said, if you're upset, you can blame me because I'm the one who made the decision. But I did it because I wanted you to be safe. After his speech, everyone applauded. Why? Because he made that plan with our interest in mind for safety. Yeah, there was the inconvenience of being delayed, having to move to the other side of the terminal, all of that stuff. But he made that decision to keep us safe. And we thanked him for it. Isn't that how we should respond to God's plans for us? When our plans get changed, our schedule is moved around, and we're inconvenienced, remember that God is doing this with a purpose, not to harm us, not to get us upset, but to bless us, to prosper us. In Proverbs, we're reminded, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And Jeremiah 